One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Well, the day has finally come. Celtic have beaten Livingston away. Celtic came away victorious. Three one winners at the Tony Macaroni Arena. Welcome along to the Huddle Breakdown. And to here with you for the next hour as we bask in the glory of a victory in the place that we thought it was impossible. Jiggle James, Al Morrison, happy, happy beating Livingston away day. <laughs> happy Macaroni Day. Yeah. That was the, before lockdown, actually. That was the last game I went to. The Celtic was the 2-2 at Livingston when Rogic scored in the last minute. And it's just like horrible, <laughs> horrible game. <laughs> Listen, it's a, it's a massive day. It's always a big day when you beat your bogey team in the bogey stadium, even though it's laughable that Livingston are the team that Celtic have failed to, to beat away for so long. But it has finally come, and it came in a sort of a manner that we, we half-expected a good Celtic performance with a little bit of luck throwing in there, thrown in there along the way as well. And I think you kind of need that to get your win in Livingston. Obviously, Colin McGregor missed the penalty early on, but Maeda got his goal. A very, very, you know, fortunate goal, you could say, but you have to be there to get them. And then an OG from Devlin, followed by an unlikely goal from James Forrest to tie the game up with a 3-1 victory. Ange Postacoglu made a couple of changes going into this game and there were surprise changes. This is how Celtic lined out. So they went for Hart and goals. Ralston came in at right back. Cameron Carver-Vickers and Starfeld again in the middle. Taylor left back. Beaton came into the middle. Rogic and McGregor as the two number eights. Forrest got a first uh, a start for Celtic on the right wing. Shota on the left. Maida up front by himself. So that was the starting lineup. A few changes, a few surprise changes, I think. One of them is the fullback situation which we'll come to a little bit later on but James your general thoughts on that win um again you can't really complain once you come away with a win like this yeah exactly I think given um the collective anxiety heading into it um not only getting uh the win but doing it in a relatively uh convincing fashion I mean that we definitely had some positive bounces of the ball um you know, uh, a header that hits the crossbar for them. You know, there's always fine margins in these games. Um, but it, it, it was definitely a, a convincing performance, a good performance that, um, particularly given the context. Uh, and, I, and I just liked it because it confirmed my uh, uh, ingenious narrative that I put out about weather. It was sunny out, right? So all the, it was a nice day, it looked like. Uh, and that the, what we talked about last week about the gloom of February into March, I, I credit it all 100% up to the weather turning nice and the players responding. Fair weather players. That's what the Celtic that's players right. are, apparently. Yeah. No, human, Listen, not, not Celtic players, human beings. Yeah. 
I also have a graphic for some of the data for this game and granted it is from FOTMOB, so don't hold it against me, but oh, no. in this game, Celtic beat Livingston 3-1. According to FOTMOB, the expected goals was 1.2 to 4.1 for Celtic. I feel like that's a little bit generous having watched the game back. Shots and goals, 6 versus 24. Big chances, 2 versus 6. Accurate passes, Celtic obviously well ahead with almost 500 passes. And corners, 5 versus 8. Now, we all know that Celtic get a lot of corners at this point in time, but Celtic were actually able to make use of their corners this time around, Mayday getting in at the back post. There's a play breakdown on the huddle breakdown Twitter that Boys Analytics did of that corner as well. Alan, great to see some set pieces actually come off in Celtic's favour <laughs> these days. And again, we, we've spoken about, you know, Giacomacchus being in the right place at the right time. Mayday was in the right place at the right time for this. Yeah, um, although, uh, you know, we just need to kind of hold off a little bit because... Some rumours that the whole season might have to be replayed because that corner shouldn't have been given. So we, we might just want to watch out for that one. Um, but yeah, as James said, some some pleasing positive variants all round actually. Uh, and and but yeah, and then again, we missed another penalty. You know, so so a bit of, a bit of both really. And, and uh, so that was positive. Uh, just just the whole kind of the calmness of it. You know, to get a three goal lead early in the second half to be pretty much able to then manage the game out. Uh, was was pleasing. When I, I'll be honest, when I saw the the lineup that you put up there, I, I was kind of like perplexed and a bit anxious, and I hadn't been anxious before. And the reason for my anxiousness was that, in my mind, when I looked back at the, the one nil loss there and at the the nil nil at Celtic Park, um, a lot of the problems stemmed from our kind of fairly um, statuesque midfield or lack of lack of athleticism, lack of mobility in midfield. Uh, in the nil-one defeat, it had been McCarthy, uh, Turnbull, and uh, Rogic, and then in the nil in the nil-nil, it was Bitton, McGregor, and Rogic. And and in both those games, certainly in the in the, in the game that we'd lost, uh, Livingston set up the same way as they had done, um, they, they did do on on Sunday, which is they had a striker nominally, but the striker was quite happy to drop back into midfield as well. Four at the back, so essentially it was like six midfielders, none of whom were wide players. So they were, were packing the middle. And therefore and then on a bouncy pitch and a, in a bit of wind, you know, again, our players who are not the most agile, trying to control a bouncing ball, body shape, not the most, you know, the quickest. I could just see us getting bogged down again. But actually it didn't it didn't transpire that way. Uh you know, he went he went with experience and and, and if anything a little bit more physicality i suppose than what i was expecting and it, and it actually paid off the, the detail of which we'll we'll get to so um put me in my place which is fair enough <laughs> so i was very happy with the outcome and to be wrong which is great mm -hmm. a lot of people in the comments already and do get your comments coming on youtube talking about tony ralston at right back and we will talk about that in detail uh, later on the show we're going to talk about the right back and left back situation what the best options are but I, I think it's probably the best place to start is the midfield for this as you mentioned Beaton came in to the midfield with McGregor pushing up as an eight and then Rogic as well coming in for a start which I think some people might have been surprised by given the differences in in the quality that he's been producing compared to Matt O'Reilly in recent weeks but so let's start with that midfield. What does pushing Beaton into that number six and McGregor f further forward change to the Celtic midfield that we wouldn't have had if we didn't make that change? If McGregor's playing as a six with, you know, a, a Hatate and O'Reilly or Hatate and Rogic? 
Go ahead, Alan. Okay. Um, so for me, it, it was unexpected, the, the, <laughs> the way it kind of panned out. So again, you'd still think a midfield of Bitten, McGregor, Rogic would be, you know, relatively creative. But what actually happened was they created very little. Um, I think the expected assists between the three of them was less than 0.1. Uh, so very low. Um, they only created two chances and three secondary assists between them. And actually, McGregor only completed 29 passes, which if you think about, he regularly hits 100 in the six roll. That all sounds like it was a disaster, right? But it wasn't. Uh, because what they actually did as a three was they they um, they, they, they essentially... They essentially matched Livingston in the, in the battle. I mean, it, I it's kind of old school, but that, that's kind of how it trans, translated. I mean, if you look at the three of them, um, I worked out that Bitton, 17% more defensive actions than average. Rogic, 25% more defensive actions than normal. McGregor, 57 So despite the fact McGregor was playing as an eight, not a six, 57 more defensive actions than normal. And now, it wasn't even a case of how many challenges did they win versus how many they lost. They were just in there disrupting. And and and, and actually, it was Celtic who more, who more effectively pressed the Livingston midfield on the rare occasion they did get the ball um, than, than it was the other way around because Celtic pretty much avoided the Livingston press by, by playing effectively down the flank. So it was very interesting. And it, and it was a, a flexibility that Celtic brought to their play and that those three midfielders did. And, and maybe that's why he chose the three most experienced midfielders, was because it was a case of, look, guys, you're not going to get a lot of the ball today. When you are, you do get the ball, there are going to be three of them on top of you. Therefore, we're just going to, we're going to, we're going to get it wide. We're going to keep it simple. But you've got to, you've got to lead the counter-press. And that's, that's, kind of what, how, that's kind of what they did. And the fact that they executed that so effectively, was, was, that, was, that was one of the most pleasing aspects for me, was that we just showed a different way of playing and a different way of problem solving that we hadn't really seen before. So I thought that was excellent. Yeah. You mentioned experience and we mentioned it last week as well. This is one of those intangible things that actually does come into play when you're chasing down a title is players who are used to chasing down a title or used to being in this position. If you compare Celtic's starting lineup to what you maybe could have predicted for this game by taking Hatate out of the, the team, O'Reilly potentially out of the team, and replacing them with, you know, Rogic, Beaton, McGregor. Then in the front line, you've got Forrest instead of Abada. Abada's inexperienced at the best times in terms of his age, but in terms of this position and replacing them with Forrest, who, you know, he's not a fan favorite, but he's won multiple titles in Scotland. He knows what it takes to, to win the games. Are we getting to the stretch now where that's going to be actually more important than, you know, potential attributes in terms of, you know, They've got players on the pitch that know how to grind out a result now at Livingston that we really needed to in terms of winning a title. James, I don't know if you'll buy into this as much as I would. I'm going to crap all over that end. No, okay. I'm um, I mean, on the margin, sure. I, I But again, I, I think Alan's points, um, you know, for, for me, thinking about this as an analytics dork, it's it's more so the size of the attribution, meaning that, you know, I think a lot of people overestimate uh, the contribution. It's not that these those aspects aren't important. It's that they're fine margins. And I would argue to a degree derivatives of other things. So, for example, I, I said um, I tweeted um, 
when the lineup was was out that I, I saw I was okay with it and that I saw at least a narrative as to what they were going to try to do. I got that second part 100% wrong, <laughs> um, meaning that to Alan's point, the way they went about having a coherent strategy to kind of combat the uh, the Livy reality at the macaroni was 100% different. I was thinking it was done to try and, um, you know, go through the middle and and pick out those, you know, kind of through balls on those runs that Maeda would make, i.e. that's kind of Bitton's, uh, Bitton's um, you know, uh, huge uh, value add that he has from a deep line playmaking perspective. Uh, and no way. I mean, I had nothing to do with that. Um, but the flip side of it was it what we, you know, I've talked about in the past that one way I've <clears throat> thought about maybe confronting this Livingston challenge is to out Livy Livy, right? Which was to basically, um, instead of trying to um, come up with anything kind of creative and quality driven, which is basically, you know, man up and, and beat them mano a mano. And that, to a degree, that's what we did in midfield. And, um, you know, on the smaller pitch, uh, it, narrower pitch, a guy like Rogic Rogic uh, has been in the system longer. And he under, I would guess he probably understands the intricacies of what we're trying to do from a pressing perspective. And, and we've talked about this in prior shows about how, you know, his, his, quantity has actually been really high. I mean, he's been working the system with great um, effect from a volume perspective. His efficiency is not great. So he's putting forth a lot of effort. He's doing a lot in, in pressing and counter-pressing. On a smaller pitch, all of a sudden, his physical issues, maybe lack of quickness or speed, gets compressed, right? So he's got less room that he has to cover. And if you look at our counter-pressing data from the game, uh, it was about 25% higher than the season average. So our pressing actually was lower, but our counter pressing was higher. So we were attacking down the flanks. And then when we lost the ball, we were counter pressing. So that's where McGregor, Rogic, and even Bitten really were, you know, let's say choking out the game or dominating the game was in that. And you throw Maeda in, um, in his usual whirling dervish. And, you know, it, it was really effective. So, um, so it's more so those kind of, uh, tactical and uh and setup issues as opposed to you know maybe some of the qualitative aspects as far as experience i mean i think the bigger experience issue is that those players have been in the system since uh you know the summer and and understanding maybe um what what Andrew's trying to do so if he's going to do something a little different i would think they're the ones over let's say a tate or an o'reilly that are relatively new and certainly a lot fresher in the system than what those three are. Um, it's that kind of acute experience under Ange, I think, that may have paid benefits. Mm, for sure. In terms of James Forrest, he's dividing opinion in the comments already. I see Bruce Mack is saying that he uh, he should be first choice and Abada should be pushing for his jersey with um, – Oh, sorry, that's Bruce FM who's saying that. Gary Melrose is saying that, you know, one performance does make him a world bit. He needs to back up this performance with another and so on and so forth in the comments. The uh, debate goes on about James Forrest. <laughs> Alan, you, you highlighted this about James Forrest last season and we sort of discussed how he could be t- potentially be used in terms of, uh, you know, the iron system potentially being moved in a little bit closer to the forward line, acting as a striker. That hasn't really happened. Injuries again scupper his performances. But I think one thing that we 
all agreed on was that when wingers go downhill, they go downhill fast. Are we seeing that that might be James Forrest might be bucking that trend a little bit now, or am I getting ahead of myself with this one performance? No, I wouldn't get to. I, th- I think it was what pleased me was that players that I think have been a little bit off it probably for a few weeks now. I think you know Forrest, Jota, Rogic, to name three, um, all played really well. Um, no. Let me put that into context. If we compare the wingers, right? Um, so, uh, Forrest created one chance. Jota created seven. <laughs> okay. Um, Forrest executed one pack pass. Uh, Jota, six. Um, they both... Uh, uh, Jota had six progressive runs and three pack dribbles. So, nine ball carries from Jota. There was two from Forrest. Jota had uh, XG of 0.1. Forrest was higher. His, his chances chances were slightly better. But between them, um, I think Forrest had uh, two shots. Jota had uh, maybe uh, two as well. So that, that was pretty even. But in terms of creativity, there was there was no comparison. I mean, Jota was was prolific on the left side. Forrest got his goal, and it was a well-taken goal. It was a great run. What, what was great about his goal was that the... The third goal was the culmination of five minutes masterclass and counter-pressing that happened. If anybody wants to watch the game back, just watch from the 50th to the minute to the when the uh, third goal goes in, and you'll see three great examples of counter-pressing and what, what it actually means. Um, and so I won't kind of bore you with a big description here. Just just watch those that five minutes, right? Uh, and essentially, when Forrest sees that Bitton, McGregor, Rogic, Maeda, Maeda led all of the counter-pressing, by the way. Right? He was the catalyst for all of it. Um, Forrest actually pulls wide, recognising that there's space to be had. And, and if and when Celtic win the ball back, that you know he, he, he something could happen here because the benefit of winning the ball back uh, in a counter-press uh, in central midfield, which is where Celtic are winning the ball back, is that if, you, if you're the opposition and you've got the ball, your fullback might have started to make a run up one side, right? And, and suddenly you don't have the ball. There's spaces all over the place. The, the defence's line is disorganised. And that's what happened three times. And the, on the third occasion, Rogic to Jota, Jota to Forrest. Forrest was, was in for the goal. So that was a very intelligent piece of running um, that, that, that Forrest experienced saw where the space was and the finish was superb by the way as well and it's off of his left foot so absolutely credit for him for that and from looking a little bit more like his old self but if you want to if you want to see a player what a player returning to form looks like then it's it's on the other wing you need to go because Jota was just back to his ball magnet yes there was frustration yes there was a couple of dumb shots yes there was lots of crosses that didn't go anywhere but there was just constant him trying to do something, trying to uh, break the opposition down, trying to get beyond his fullback, trying to take players on. I, I just don't. I think Forrest was better, um, but he's just he just doesn't have the pace anymore. I'm afraid, and mm. uh, it's it's a bit like in the, in the fullback, uh, which we'll come to, is that you really want somebody of the level of Jota on the right hand side, and Abad has probably got the potential to to get there. A 30 year old James Forrest, I don't think is going to get there. But but but, but yeah. you know cre- credit to him for for his performance on Sunday. Mm-hmm. The Jota narrative over the last couple of weeks has been slightly strange to me. I, I know a lot of people have been bringing up his contract situation and the fact that he flew home to get treatment in Benfica, and you know the usual has his head been turned conversation comes into things. Whereas 
the most logical thing is that he was out injured and you know he you know just took him a couple of weeks to get back up to steam and hopefully now until the end of the season he'll remain the, the player that he has been all year for Celtic. Let's let's turn to the fullback situation then because <clears throat> well, can, can I address quite that? Oh, go on. Can I address go that Jota thing real quick? So I actually looked at uh, kind of chopped up his season in different blocks uh, last week, just out of curiosity. I didn't write anything about it. I just kind of did it for my own interest. And uh, his underlying metrics actually didn't really change uh, after the winter break or w- when he came back. Uh, he he was overperforming things like XGA and XA in most of the first half of the season pre-injury. And then when he came back, he just was basically, you know, reverting and underperforming, so to speak, meaning that he wasn't scoring some of the chances that he did earlier uh, and he just wasn't having some of his, uh, you know, some of the luck, so to speak, on on um, some of his deliveries being uh, capitalized upon with with. Uh, uh, but, you know, if you look at his, you know, whether it's XG, whether it's OBV, all these things, it's pretty much right in line um, with what he had been doing. So again, this is a good, a good example of how, um, you know, kind of just normal variance ends up creating narratives, you know, which just kind of fill in the holes with uh, these narratives that, that <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. So again, is it possible that he got his head turned? You know, it, you know, I, I'm going to blame it on the weather. I'm going to stick with that. <laughs> yeah. Right. Let's move on to the fullback situation then. Uh, Anthony Ralston comes in at right back. This is it was an interesting move for Ange, but again, it seems to have paid off. Ralston again showing his worth for the club. It's it ha- it just has to be said every time that Ralston plays this well that it is so surprising how well he has come along in this season and a massive boost to Celtic like to have this player pushing Juranovic for that position. James, you've been writing for the Celtic Way this week about the the fullback situation and the creativity in particular. So, what have you been seeing? Yeah. So again, we, we, this is not to suggest what's going going to happen going forward. The, most of this is, uh, as, as we say in analytics, ex post, right? So looking at the history, measuring what's actually happened, and comparing. And uh, I actually wrote when uh, it appeared. Now, some of it may have had to do with injury, but pro- probably also the return of Taylor is that when Juranovic uh, supplanted Ralston, kind of early December is. Uh, or seemingly supplanted Ralston as a first choice right back, I wrote that it was going to be difficult just from a pure output perspective for him to match what Ralston had done because what Ralston had done was, you know, like um, Tierney-esque level of output, just pure, you know, when we talk about uh, measurables, right? So things like chance creation and um, even his goal threat, you know, his his ability on corners and, and aerial balls, uh, he, he had done quite well there. So, um, and, you know, measurably speaking, uh, Juranovic has not come close. He's about, you know, half overall of um, Ralston's output from a chance creation and an attacking sense. Um, and, 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 but what I wrote about is that not, is not necessarily a bad thing, meaning that the interesting part uh, and what I documented in the piece was that the overall team performance level is startlingly similar, right? It's almost exact. I mean, I get, this goes back to my point I've been making in recent weeks about how much of it is system attributed, i.e. what, you know, kind of what uh, Ange is controlling, so to speak, what he's deploying and implementing from a system perspective, um, and then how much of it's kind of pushed down to the uh, individual player. And um, the way I tried to kind of suss that out was looking at Abada's performance 
playing with those two players. And what we see is really just a redistribution during the period, meaning that when Ralston's played, um, he's taken over kind of more. And Alan, I think I mentioned before we went live about the overlapping, you know, uh, Ralston tends to overlap and get to the byline and create chances, whereas Dranovich is playing kind of more of an inverted, deeper role. So to me, this comes back to having a good manager, right, which is he's he's looking at matchups, presumably, and when he's playing players, he's altering tactics and what the team is doing relative to the strengths and weaknesses of each player. Uh, so if you just take kind of a simpleton, you know, uh, examination as far as, okay, A versus B, you could make the argument that Ralston's been the better right back. Um, and it's not all positive. I mean, he, he, you know, he turns the ball over. He's been dispossessed high at a higher rates, right? So there's, there's aspects. It's not a hundred percent, right? So I'm, I'm, I want to qualify that. Um, but what basically the point of my piece was to lay out the good part of all of this is that we have two good options that appear to play in different ways, have strengths and weaknesses, and uh, it empowers the manager to be able to do things like he did, I think, what looked like he did on Sunday, which is to craft the side relative to the style of play and the tactics that, that he wants to implement um, versus the opponent. And, and to me, that's good news all around. Um, mm-hmm. So rather than getting bogged down in a, you know, Ralston versus Duranovich, I, I my focus was like celebrating, hey, we've got the tools here, the depth uh, for Ange to be able to really do what we all want, which is to make the team as competitively um, advantageous on on each in, in each game. Mm-hmm. In terms of sheer footballing ability, like just the basics of touch, dribbling, passing uh, ability, I'd argue that Juranovic is probably Celtic's best player. And just in terms of just being a, a footballer in, in the in the very basic sense of it, I think Juranovic has all the best attributes, uh, but that doesn't necessarily mean he's the best right back in the team. If Juranovic's uh, output going forward is lesser or less effective than Ralston's, is it too simple to put forward an argument then that the system of Ralston overlapping. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST 
and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. More than uh, Juranovic is more a more effective way for Celtic to play. Is that too simple an argument to put forward? Yeah, it's, that's that's why I benchmarked it looking at the team level performance. So it, it, the, the team performance levels have been remarkably consistent in both periods with both players playing. That's why I said it's really a redistribution of some of that creative output uh, between the right back position and the winger position. So. Um, Again, I, I I see that as kind of two sides of the same coin. I mean, it's it's more so how do you want to create it? You know, do you, do you, you okay. know? And it, yeah, so I, this is why I say it's a positive. I think because you, you have the ability to not have um, general creative output go down playing either player. Um, you know, it, it cr- creates that flexibility uh, from a from a tactical perspective in order to try and still tailor or customize what you want to do relative to the opponent. Um, and I know that's kind of counter narrative that, you know, uh, you know, as Ann says, we like to play our football or as he says it uh, and impose, but you know, <laughs> um, there, there's shades of gray and, and these types of things uh, and, and mm-hmm. tweaking. And, and I think that's basically what's happened. Um, so I, again, I, I think that's really positive. Alan, I know you've been thinking about this as well. Yeah, I mean, I, I, again, just coming back to the Livingston game, first of all, is what, what impressed me was that Living, Rolston and Taylor picked up the creative mantle uh, from the three midfielders. So I talked about the how way that three midfielders were utilised and the fact they were they were playing in some ways a more of a defensive, destructive role, really. Uh, the, therefore, somebody had to be taking on the, the mantle of, you know, ball progression and getting the ball forward. So, um, for example... Um, both full-backs completed just over 60 passes, which is double what McGregor and Rogic achieved. Um, and they created, Taylor created two chances, which is as many as the whole midfield three did between them. Rolson and Taylor between them um, had three secondary assists each, so six between them, and there was only three for the whole of the midfield at secondary assists. So they were really building the, building the play. And I think um, just to pick up on the, the point James made around the style of play. So I, I did a, I did a similar exercise. I looked at the fullbacks a few weeks ago. And what I use as my benchmark is I used uh, Tierney and Lustig. Because I think Lustig is, if I, wanted, if I wanted to describe to somebody what does a great defensive fullback look like <laughs> for Celtic, I would say Lustig. And if I, if I wanted to show somebody what a great, um, offensive fullback looks like. I would I would probably say tyranny. So they're both they're both benchmarks for a style of fullback, and and great therefore to measure the current you know other fullbacks against. And actually, very interestingly, is that uh, what I realised is that actually tyranny tyranny was great at getting the ball up the pitch, but his actually expected assists rate um, in his career is lower than Ralston and Taylor's. Now, and I think that's something to do with style, right? I think the the fullbacks are more 
have a more complicated, involved role in the team than perhaps Tierney had. Uh, now, what Tierney's big strength was, which I think many people perhaps undervalue, is that he was an absolutely terrific defender. So you, you had somebody who was a, a great threat going forward, but actually, defensively, he was excellent. And, I, and, and, and neither Taylor or Ralston are as, def- as, as defensive metrics are as, as good as Tierney's. Tierney's probably second to Lustig in that sort of hierarchy. And so to think we had them both at the same time. Uh, and then you had this sort of Tierney, Lustig, his, his long ball progression was excellent. Tierney's driving runs were excellent. It was a brilliant combination to have. So 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 what I would say is that there's a little bit of, of stylistics going on here in that, you know, Rolson and Taylor's creative numbers, I think, are boosted by volume just because of the way they're being used in the team. That doesn't necessarily mean that they're better players than Tierney. It just mean, and it doesn't necessarily mean that if you brought in another player, they could actually do even better. <laughs> I think that's the thing we have to keep in our minds, and I'm, and I'm pretty convinced about that. If I'm honest with you, um, Juranovic's numbers are quite strange. He's actually, I agree with you, Enda. He looks like a proper footballer. His touch, his control, his physical speed, his awareness, his confidence. I mean, he plays with such confidence. Uh, he plays with that little bit of swagger that we all like. But his numbers are actually really you couldn't separate him from the other two fullbacks that I mentioned there, Rolson and Taylor. In fact, if anything, he's less creative, as James said. He's probably a little bit better at ball, ball progression, what I call build up. So pack passing, for example, um, you know, uh, you know, just general volume and accuracy of passing. He's he's probably got the edge over over them in that regard. But in terms of the sharp end, actual, you know. Um, you know, expected assists, chances created. He's 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 actually worse than Bowen goalie in that regard, which is so far, which is a I think a surprise. But again, context, right? He's been moved around all over the pitch. He's been playing left back. He's been playing wide on the right. He's not had a settled run of games um, at that right back position. In fact, I think I said the other day, he, he, the first time I think in the previous game, he actually completed 90 minutes at right back in two games in a row. That's the first time that happened. You cannot underestimate a player getting into the rhythm of playing that in that same position. So I think we have to, mm-hmm. I think he's still got, I think there's still more to come, I would suggest, from Juranovic. I, I would also add that the system probably doesn't allow Juranovic to be as creative as he necessarily could be. Granted, his crossing is has been a weak point over the last couple of weeks when he did get the crosses into the box. But if you think about the way he plays, he plays a large amount of his game in central midfield, really, like playing as an inverted uh, right back and being so comfortable on the ball, he's often on the ball. And, but then if you think about getting it out wide and the, that almost set piece that Celtic have of the past into Abada from Juranovic, followed by Juranovic over that, followed by Matt O'Reilly swinging around and coming and getting onto the ball and crossing it into the box. It's not necessarily his role to do that, to get it into the box. That may also play into the numbers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's, that's a fair comment. As, as I say, I, what I concluded when I looked at this was there's a lot going on and it's not it's not just about ability. It's about how players, are, to James's point, how players are being utilised. And and as I completely echo the fact that if, if Foster Coe, we decided that the best utilisation of the squad for this particular game, knowing how the game was going to pan out, was to have those two players uh, playing in, on the wide positions. I can't argue with how it turned out because, as I say, they, they stepped up and they picked up that that creative mantle in that game that the midfielders, whilst they were fighting their battles. Mm. Did you look at Juranovic as a left-back, James, as well, or no? 
Yeah, I did. And, and, you know, kind of to Alan's point, so I broke it out. And it, it's not uh, within stats bomb. I can't take it down because, as Alan said, he, he was playing even intra-game between uh, positions. Uh, so I can do that in Scout, but I can't do that in, in stats bomb with the permission level that I have. So, I, you know, I put that clearly in the piece. It's, this was not as precise as I would like it to be. Um, but, yeah, his time at left back, I mean, he's not even in the same – ballpark as Taylor has been uh on an output basis uh so he, he's he, he's not if you just delineate his left back time as Alan said it's a good bit of even below bowling goalie when he was um so has not been great there um mm-hmm. so yeah but at, at right back again it's as I said it, this is a credit to Ralston and again the, the what Alan's saying as far as the the uh, kind of allocation of production uh I mean uh Ralston was up near Tavernier in his output. And, you know, for whatever you want to say about <laughs> Rangers and Tavernier, he's put out a lot of big numbers, both from an assistant perspective, expected assists, and even non-penalty uh, goal scoring for, for, a, a, for a fullback. Um, so for Ralston to be in that echelon of, of production, it, it is what I wrote uh, back in, the, in, the, in December. It's unreasonable to expect uh, Duranovich or even Ralston to keep that up probably um, just because of, of the sheer volume of, of what had uh, the production had been. Mm-hmm. Well, fair play to Ralston for doing what he's doing because I don't think, again, nobody saw this coming. So I'm, I'm delighted that. But if you, it, sorry, uh, it happened sorry, Andrew, just one other little point on that is and James is absolutely right. Um, and, and Ralston's like seven years younger than Tavernier. So the, the other thing is, if you think of it from a Scotland perspective, it's just, if you, if you compare O'Donnell to Ralston, it's just, it's just an unfair comparison. They're just miles apart now. I mean, you know, if you're looking at sort of Scotland right backs, then, and, which is a problem position and Ralston should definitely be in the, in the mix, uh, in the form that he's been in. Yeah. Especially the fact that, you know, John Joe Kenny is still starting for Everton now, even after the big money transfer from for uh, one uh, certain Rangers player to the club that are fighting relegation at the moment. So let's move forward then after this Livingston win. What it means is that Celtic are still top of the table as we near the split. Three points ahead of Rangers. Rangers have a game in Europe this week that Celtic do not have. They're playing against Red Star. Celtic aren't in action until Monday against Dundee United in the Scottish Cup. And that's followed by Ross County in the league, a game that I am finally getting over to go and see. So I'll be in the <laughs> oh, Celtic Park for that game. Yeah. Um, but uh, in terms scheduled of the Scottish to, Cup, with, the, with the way the world is right now, do not, you just don't jinx yourself. Okay. You're scheduled to go over. Yeah. My last one got cancelled. So I'm really hoping that this one does not get cancelled. Um, Scottish Cup, Dundee United. This is a game, you know. If there's one team, if I could pick out one team in the league that I'd want a cup game against um, before while we're on this run, it's either Dundee or Dundee United because I just I never have any fear in my in myself coming up against Dundee United. Maybe that's arrogance. I don't know. Uh, yeah, I'll disagree with you. The re- and with one major reason, which is their keeper. Uh, he he's the kind of keeper that in a cup game uh, could stand on his head. And, um, you know, we could completely dominate uh, and, and still struggle to, to, to win uh, if he has one of those kind of games. And I think he's shown that he's capable of that. Um, so outside of that, I mean, the way that they've approached playing against us 
uh, the, you know, unless they change, it's likely to be fairly open. And, um, you know, we've, we've posted a lot of chance creation against them. Uh, it's a question of taking those chances, which is going to be the, you know, the big thing. And that, that's why I'm, I'd be concerned, you know, Dundee is, you know, just generally a mess. Yeah, they've got they've got the if you want I don't know if you'd call it the luckiest, but they're they're conceding only one point one goal a game. Um but expect by expected goals it should be near one point five. <laughs> That's quite a big difference. So they're they're almost due a bit of a doing <laughs> if if things revert to the to the mean which they generally do. And and it's not even as if um I think it's Seagrist is it's not even as if he's has if the goalkeeper has the most saves. He's he's well behind the Dundee keeper and uh, Craig Gordon and uh, the Motherwell goalkeeper and and the St Mirren goalkeepers are all make more have to make more saves than than the United keeper. So that suggests that you know there's some poor finishing that happens to coincide with when teams play than the United. And given I don't think they've got any particularly outstanding defenders, it suggests it's just one of these things that that, that may that may uh, may kind of even out over time. So they're they're probably one of the teams that's overperformed in terms of. Their expected goals and, and so forth, so forth, and on various other metrics, got more points than what you'd have expected them to have got over the season. So that's all kind of positive. But as James says, we've it's a one-off cup tie. So, but but what what are they, what we can absolutely say in terms of what what can Celtic control is that they're just in a really good place. You know, they, they, we're going to be coming off eight days, um, more than eight days of uh, well, yeah, probably eight days of, of of Ange on the training ground with a full fit squad. Maybe bar, bar a couple of players. I don't know if Turnbull's back, back on the grass. Maybe he is. Um, probably Keogh's still out. But otherwise, he's got more or less a full squad in, with which to work with, 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 with one thing in mind: what is the best team for that, that, um, that match? And as we've seen against Livingston, you know, this yes, he'll say that he, we just want to go and play our football, and everyone will interpret that as I'm going to play one way and nothing's going to change me. But the reality is. Uh, that there'll be a few little subtleties in mind just because of the opposition. And mm. when you've got the resources that he's got at his disposal now, eight days to prepare, I'm feeling I'm feeling good about that. Yeah. We're no longer at the stage of the competition where I can say make wholesale changes because I mean it's a quarter final, so you're not gonna make wholesale changes. Um so what about the starting lineup then? Juranovic come back in potentially, Jackamaka starting ahead of Maida where do we expect Celtic to make changes if they do make them? That's a great question. I, I, I mean, I, I don't have any idea. Um, I don't, I don't have strong conviction. I, I could see, uh, one of many, uh, iterations. Um, you know, as I said, generally speaking, it's going to be almost the op assuming, uh, United don't dramatically alter how they've played. Um, so if, if we use that as an assumption, then it's almost like the opposite of uh, a Livingston game at the Macaroni, um, meaning that they're likely to be more open. Um, they're likely to come out more, press us higher, um, and and that creates you know space and and the potential for a different kind of uh, uh, attack and build up. So. You know, does that alter his uh, the manager's thinking as far as selection and strengths and weaknesses? I think that's going to be interesting. I could see why you would want Duranovic over Ralston in that situation. Abada with his runs in behind from the wing versus um, a Forest. Um, you know, I think the, the the decision between O'Reilly and and Rogic is going to continue to be interesting and intriguing. 
um, as well as, you know, is it McGregor back into the six or does he, you know, Bitten stay in and, and McGregor at the eight. So I, uh, I, I think it'll be as interesting to see what he does. I, it's speculating ahead of time. I, I mean, I could come up with all kinds of potential theories. Yeah, if we go if we go back to the game at Dundee United, which I think Celtic won really comfortably, and, and use that as a what did we learn? Um, well, for a start, eight Celtic players had over a hundred packing score. Right, that's how easily Celtic played through Dundee United. Right, so if that's repeated, then you probably want your you probably want O'Reilly, you probably want Juranovic. Would be my if it's going to be that kind of open game where you want where there's going to be huge opportunity to break lines. Then you want you want I would put those players in over over Ralston and and uh, Bitton, for example. Um, uh, you know, Kyogo had nearly two two expected scoring contribution for that game. Um, I would I would I would keep Maeda in, and the reason I say that is because he's now played three started three games in a row, and the first two of those were the first time he's played striker for ninety minutes in two games in a row. And guess what? In the third game against Livingston, he started to see. I think the real player that Maeda is, um, you know, he got he got he got on the ball quite quite a bit. Um, he had four shots all inside the box. Um, his counter pressing was just fantastic. So to me, he's on he's on form, and you start to see the best of him. So so and also because Kyogo played so well against Dundee United, that style of striker very similar. I would I would keep Maeda in, and as I say, the other changes that I would make would be to bring back definitely O'Reilly, probably Juranovic because. The ability to play through the team was there the last time we played them. Uh, we were and, and Abada had a great game there as well, so I'd probably bring him back as well. So that that's just mm. based on the last time we played them. But you know, maybe it's to do with who looks good on the training pitch. I don't know. Yeah, I, at times the debate over a starting lineup can be tiresome, but it's also very promising that we're able to have this level of debate about the starting lineup when we're all also in agreement that this is absolutely nowhere near as good as Celtic can be if they have players suited to the position. So it's, it is good that we have uh, the level of competitiveness within the squad to actually debate who should be in the starting lineup. Before we finish up, we should mention Scott Brown stepping away from football or stepping away from playing football uh, from, from Aberdeen. He's going into coaching apparently if he doesn't join a certain Mr. Neil Francis Lennon in, uh, is it Cyprus he's gone to? Um, yeah, and Nicosia, over last, yeah. yeah, over the last couple of days. So Scott Brown, potential to rejoin Celtic in a, in a coaching capacity. Is that what you're seeing? Is that what we're going to see? Is that what you just want to see? Um, thoughts? <laughs> I, I, yeah, I think I know. Listen, I'm... It's the same. I think the same about this is when you know, see people clam, clambering for um, Henrik Larsson to be made manager. It's just like it's just not how the world should should work. It does work sometimes in football. If we've got a, an opening for a coach, then we should hire the best coach that fits in with Postecoglou's philosophy or the, the club's philosophy. More importantly, going forward, um, and and the best person for the job should be the person that we recruit. You know, football's football at the end of the day. And knowing knowing your way, Lennoxton, I don't think suspect takes that long to work out where the canteen is and where the cones are kept. You know what I mean? I suspect any competent coach could probably work that out quite quickly. Um, you know, in some cases, not having a history with some of the players is a good thing. Not being too pally. So to me, no harm to Scott Brown. I don't. It's not that I wouldn't want to see him at Celtic if he was the best. 
available coach uh, in the market and we had an opening for him, absolutely perfect. Uh, we'd be quite happy to see him, but only if it's on that basis. I, I uh, 100% agree. Uh, the the stories on this uh, have interested me about as much as which team's getting more money to go to Australia. Uh, I <laughs> no, come care. on, James, that is funny. That well, is it's funny, genuine. but it's funny, genuinely but funny. <laughs> as far as like actual um, relevance, uh, you know, I, I I wish him well. I, I but to Alan's point, I said the same thing about Kennedy um, when all of the train wreck of last season was was um unfolding which is you know probably behooves everybody involved if the people that come to celtic spend some time in modern setups at clubs that are doing things in a way that are innovative and cutting edge um i suspect with how things went that is not aberdeen uh we've discussed a long time now it's very likely not celtic so uh and and my guess is if they're hiring neil lennon it's not uh it's not the team in cyprus um so you know i i'd like to see him go somewhere that he could really you know there was a talk of him going to leicester at least rogers uh, offering him that i mean i would think that would be a far better move um for him to spend some time in that kind of setup where it's more modern and advanced uh and you know, for his own career, I, I, and if he ends up back at Celtic after doing that and all the things that Alan said, then, Hey, that would be tremendous. Um, mm. but for him just to get a job for the boys, uh, you know, Gavin Strachan consulting gig, uh, you know, we've seen this pattern play out over and over again. And it's just, you know, not, not, not interesting to me unless, um, some of those other conditions could be met. Mm. Hey, so just so just a, sorry uh, to interrupt. Um, do you see who's gone to uh, your favorite team, your second favorite team, James? Atalanta. Oh, uh, no, I Lee, didn't. Lee Congerton. Ah, <laughs> oh, you know, I had seen that. That was a little while yeah, back yeah. now. Yeah. 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 Well, yeah. And again, it goes back to putting people in roles to succeed. And, hmm. and when I read yeah, about yeah, yeah, yeah. when I read about him at that time, um, apparently where the reputation again who knows i mean i obviously have no clue but that what congerton's reputation is really good at is managing relationships with agents and players and getting them to kind of decide you know to come somewhere um so if that's and a, and a team like uh, or a club like atalanta that have a robust analytics arm already He's a closer. He's like, you know, he's like going into a car yeah. dealership. You send the closer in, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. He's not the finance guy. Yeah. He's the closer guy. He, he doesn't design uh, the cars. He just, yeah. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, no, we, you know, you. We, were, we, we were having him close deals with a, uh, a CEO that didn't want to close any of the deals. Always be closing. So I've, I've got, uh, <laughs> I've got Alec Baldwin in my head now. Uh, <laughs> Always be closing. <laughs> ABC. <laughs> <laughs> I was just going to say on Scott Brown, it was Rogers that first pegged him as a potential future manager as well. So that's probably where the, the Leicester links are coming from, I'd imagine. But I suppose we'll, we'll wait and see. I, I completely agree. People shouldn't just get jobs just because they used to play for a club. Look how that turned out for, for Manchester United, you know, going for all the Gunnar Solskjaer. It doesn't work out. Rarely, rarely works out. Frank Lampard getting the Everton job now fighting relegation. I mean, you got to go for the best guy. And if he's the best guy, he's the best guy. He'll get the job. But if he's not, don't bother. Uh, anything else you just want to bring up before we finish up for the week? 
No, I'm good. I have to get back to global financial markets and the economy melting down. Oh, lovely. Yeah. Fun times. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think I think it's it's good. I think we're in a good place in terms of James mentioned at the beginning that the, the sort of we're in a place where the positive variance theories seem to be <laughs> seem to be uh, in in alignment as it were, and and, and then a fully fit kind of squad. So I think it's a great place to be. So, you know, let's, let's hope that that continues. Yeah. On, on an excellent. X, I'll, I'll offer two, two stats to keep in the, with the brand of the show. So actually our, our XG from open play was only one, right? So that's actually below the season average. So again, that comes back to this set plays were an important role and that it's a tough environment that, you know, so even that is a pretty good output given the the situation. Uh, and we only had only quote unquote had, I think 25 crosses, which is again, below the season average and also uh, below the barrage, the aerial barrage that we've talked about that has unfolded when we've had struggles um, against deep blocks. So uh, I thought those were two, you know, kind of interesting things to highlight the, uh, the game at Livingston. Okay. Everyone say a prayer for me that I don't get COVID or the, you know, Russia don't invade Scotland before the Ross County game next week so that I can get over. I know that's, that's uh, hey, this could be part of a, at, this, this, this could be part of an Irish invasion of uh, Scotland. I, that's what I would be worried about if you're going there. Well, oh, so it's yeah. a whole political minefield you've opened up there. <laughs> <laughs> Guys, good stuff as always. Thanks, guys. Yeah, take care. All right, lovely stuff. If you want to get more of the Huddle Breakdown, you can get the podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast as well. And you can subscribe to the YouTube channel if you want to watch us in high def as well. Just hit the subscribe button below. You get notified every time a podcast goes live. We'll be back again next week with a Scottish Cup review. And I don't know if I'll be here. I might be in Scotland at that point, but we'll keep in touch anyway. Until then, we'll chat to you later. Good luck. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 